are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. And I, while on my way here, I texted Sam and I said, hey, I'm coming through to New York. Let's hang out. Let's grab a meal. He said, uh, can you speak for us? And I actually said no um, because my wife is pregnant and I wanted to go home as soon as possible to my wife. But things worked out. And as I was praying, I actually felt like God, I just, I was convicted that God wanted me to come not only to promise, um, but also here and God put a word on my heart. Um, I don't like to say stuff like that just because he tell you not to at seminary. Come on, somebody. But uh, I feel like I got a word, and it's similar to what my wife actually was talking about. So 2017, for me at least, it was a year of breakthrough. But no one told me before there's a breakthrough, there's a breakdown. So I had multiple breakdowns. Come on, somebody. And these breakdowns led to breakthroughs. Hallelujah, right? And so many breakdowns. Every bone in my body was broken before the Lord. Maybe kneel, you know what I'm saying? Like, Lord, I need your help. And then this year, I am filled with so much faith. You know, there's a difference between, like, like working something up for wishful thinking. There's a difference between, like, you know, like, forcing yourself with your mind to believe something, and then when faith comes. Faith is a gift from God. You can't work it up. It comes from heaven and makes you believe. You know that you know. You know, you're like, how do you know? I know. That's faith. How do you believe? I believe. That's just, that's what faith is. And I'm so stirred with faith. And actually this past Monday, so just a few days ago, we lead a monthly prayer meeting in Orange County, LA County, right around there. And it, it was just I, like Sam said, my wife, she preaches. And I get insecure when she preaches because I'm like, man, she preached better than me, dude. She didn't even go to Bible school, you know. She didn't go to seminary. And she was, she was preaching on overcoming fear. And my wife, um, I believe she's actually prophetic in her giftings, uh, not me. She's the junior Holy Spirit in our family. So I just ask her what she thinks, and she says it, and I do it. And she just was so, she's literally pregnant, but she was pregnant with the word. And the word was overcoming fear and when she said that like I was like you know what me too this year I don't know is it because we're getting older when you're younger you don't care about years you care about summer break come on somebody all these high school kids are like 2018 forget that June hurry up and come I'm get out of school right but you get older and you start thinking about seasons you start thinking about chapters you start thinking about how God is moving in different areas of our life and God put a word in my heart similar to my wife and the word is to overcome fear to fulfill our callings I had this word, I'm pregnant, not like my wife, but with a word that we must overcome our fears. We must overcome our barriers in order for us to become all that God has called us to be. When I say calling, there's actually two types of calling. There's the general call that is, that is equal to all of us. Every single one of us have one thing in common, that's the general call of God. The general call of God simply means God's assignment on our life to bring glory. Every single one of us, our calling in life, in every season, in every area of our life, is to bring in glory. That's why Apostle Paul says, whether we eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. And glory of God is the purpose of our lives, that whatever we do, it brings Him honor. Whatever we do, pleases His name. Whatever we do, makes Him look good. That's what our parents want sometimes, right? Whatever you do, make me look good. My mom wanted me to get straight A's, not for me, but for her. Come on, somebody. God wants us to make him look good. But the specific calling 
is the unique expression in which how you and I fulfill that. The secondary calling, which is the, 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 the specific calling, is that everyone here, even though our primary calling is to bring him glory, how you bring him glory looks different from the person sitting next to you. And what that means is that God has a unique and distinct assignment on your life. God has a purpose for your life that only you can fulfill and nobody else can fulfill. Right? It's kind of like puzzle pieces growing up. I don't know if you guys like puzzle pieces. I hated puzzle pieces. But when you get these puzzle pieces, right? When you're small, you start with 25 to 50 to 100. And your weirdos go to like 1,000 puzzle pieces, right? You see, when you bring all those pieces together, it displays the glory of God. But that one piece is you. That one piece only you can match. Do you remember when you lost that one piece and you want to kill somebody? And you try to force another piece in there, but that piece doesn't fit in there, so you just get angry and you quit? That was me, right? In order for us to know how significant we are, we have to first realize how insignificant we are. When you realize how insignificant you are to the overall picture of God's glory, then you have a revelation of how significant you are that you match the perfect piece that God wants you to fulfill. And that's why David says, who is man that you are mindful of him? Who is man that you think about him, yet you crown him with glory? He was encountered by his insignificance. In light of God's glory, in light of God's story, he realized how small he was. But once he realized how small he was, he realized how big he was because only he can fulfill a purpose that God has assigned for him. So everyone here, whatever you do, there is an assignment on your life. And I want to talk to you more deeply. And God gave me a word through the life of Moses. That Moses was called by God in a very distinct and unique way. And let me just give you an illustration, specific calling, right? Every biblical character brought glory to God. But Moses' special calling was to take them out of Egypt. Joshua's special calling was to take them into the land of Canaan. Peter's specific calling was to take the gospel to the Jews. Paul's calling was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. They were all motivated by one thing, bringing him honor. They were all motivated by one thing, bringing him glory. But the expression of it was distinct to who they were. And we find this guy named Moses that you guys all know about. And I want to dive deep into how God moved in his life to fulfill his calling by overcoming certain barriers and fears that God wanted him to overcome. I have a whole bunch of Bible passages. I gave it to them. I don't know if they're able to follow but number one, how do you discover your calling? It's through your life experiences first. Your story. You know, when you read the story of Moses, it is so fascinating. You know why? It says that Pharaoh decreed an execution on all the firstborn children of all the Hebrews because the Hebrews were growing in size and number and strength. And the Egyptians were intimidated because they no longer had a relationship with Joseph. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians favored Joseph but once he died, they started to get intimidated by these Hebrews. So Moses' mom puts him in a basket down the Nile. But unbeknownst to her, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. But Miriam is following this basket because the baby is crying. And when Miriam sees that Pharaoh's daughter found the baby, she must have been so terrified that Moses was going to get killed. But how many of you know that God even designed our birth? That God's in the beginning before we were even born. Before you were in your mother's womb, did I not choose you? 
Before the foundations of the world have I not created you. Who can say I created you before I created you? And all of a sudden this baby is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And then Miriam shouts out, it's a Hebrew's boy, it's a Hebrew's son. Miriam is disguising herself. They don't know that it's the daughter of, I mean, it's the sister of Moses. And all of a sudden she says, take this boy to me and let a Hebrew person nurse this baby. You guys know this? Do you know who ends up, do you know who Moses ends back up with? His mom. Read Exodus 1 and 2. We don't need to go through all of that. The mom is like, mom, mom, Moses got caught. By the daughter of Pharaoh. She's like, no, 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 my God, my baby. Right here, mom. He's like, what? She's like, mom, I brought her, to, I brought him to you because they said that they need a midwife to nurse him. So what happens from the beginning of Moses' story, though he was a Hebrew, he was raised in an Egyptian palace. He was learned and educated by Egyptian religion, Egyptian philosophy. He was educated and powerful, but his early years, he was raised by his own mother. He was bilingual and he was bicultural, his life story. So when God calls him, though Moses doesn't know that his past, God has been working behind the scenes. Can you imagine what Moses felt as a Hebrew boy hanging out with Egyptians? Even the, if I could say this, the racism. The Egyptians probably thought, I know you're in the palace, but you're not one of us. Can you imagine what the Jews felt and how they treated Moses when Moses comes out with all this makeup, with all this jewelry, trying to hang out? You know, he's hypebeast, you know what I'm saying? He's wearing Yeezys, he's wearing Supreme, he's wearing Keith, right? He comes out, they're like, yo, yo, you're too high class. Can you imagine how misunderstood he felt? Could you imagine how lonely he felt? But that was God working behind the scenes. That was God preparing him. Because he was the perfect person to take a nation of slaves and turn them into a kingdom. Why? Because he understands slavery as a Hebrew when he was raised in the palace. So before he knew it, God was already protecting him. Some of y'all don't know this, but God has you here for a reason. Your families are broken, but you never know what God's actually doing. Some of my friends are in counseling. They see the craziest thing. I say, yo, why are you going to counseling? Because my family was broken. I was like, all right, man. <laughs> we got real, real fast. <laughs> I mean, like, I just say, ah, oh, I just was motivated to help people. It's like, my dad left me when I was six. I was like, for sure, man. God bless you, bro. <laughs> and they say a lot of times your pain is your ministry. Your struggle is God working behind the scenes. Even Joseph says in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil, God has planned for good. What Paul says, everything works for the good according to his purpose for those who love him. So in your story, God is actually orchestrating things to prepare you for your calling. I was born and raised in Korea in a military base, which means I'm just confused. I spoke English all my life. All my life I spoke English in Korea because it's a U.S. Army base. But what happened to me, I kind of became a third culture guy. You know, my friends in the military base, they weren't racist to me. The first generation Koreans are racist to me. They're like, hey, the hunger my head. Hey, do you speak Korean? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. The why are you speaking English? I was like, why not? You know what I mean? Like, a lot of my friends were like black and black and white because in the military base, and we're always hanging out. And they come up to me and they just start saying these racist words towards me. 
Maestro, so misunderstood. Little did I know that God was preparing me to have a heart for all nations. God was preparing me to minister to all people, not just one people. God was working behind the scenes. Your life story is actually God preparing you for what is to come in your special, unique assignment. Come on, somebody. Number two, your passions. Man, I'm Asian. My mom used to kill my passion. <laughs> she gave me three choices. Engineer, doctor, CPA. That's it. <laughs> I said, Mom, I want to be athlete. No! <laughs> Mom, I want to go to entertainment. No! Mom, I want to... Sorry, engineer, doctor, CPA, lawyer. That's it. That's all. Period. No comma. Period. Right? But did you know that God has deposited passions into your heart? The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and I will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight in the Lord, when you're made in the image of the most creative God in the world, he has deposited desires and passions inside your heart. You know what's really interesting about Moses? Even though he was afraid to go and deliver the Israelites, he always had a heart for justice. He always had a heart for righteousness. He always had a heart for the marginalized, the poor, and the broken, and his people. How do we know this? He kills an Egyptian. Let me read this to you in Exodus 2, 11 through 13. It says, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked upon their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. Verse 12. He looked this way and that way. Is that hilarious? <laughs> before you steal something? Are we good? We good, dog? We good? It's like, he looked this way and that way and seeing no one, right? So oh, when I used to go steal, we used to have a plan where we used to go like, you know, before, BC days, before Christ, right? <laughs> Chill out. So you're gonna like, what? Like, I became a Christian later in my life, okay? I used to map it out. I was like, oh, you look that way. You look that way, right? He's, like, he's looking, he's looking, he's looking, right? He says, he looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Do you see this? Even before God called him to deliver the Israelites, he had this passion for freedom. He had this passion for deliverance. He had this passion for equality, and it gripped him to the point of sin. Some passions lead to righteousness. Other passions lead to sin. Come on, somebody. But this sin was immature, and because it was immature, he ended up killing somebody, which was probably why when he had to go through a 40-year wilderness in the land of Midian, he purified his heart. Some of y'all got passions, but that passion needs to be redeemed. Some of y'all got passions, but that passion is driven sinfully. But God does not, those passions are not, in his essence, sinful. You know, back in the day to serve God, you had to become a pastor or a missionary, not no more. You know that passion for music that you have? That might be from God. You know that passion for education? That might be from God. 
You know that passion to see righteousness and justice and the people set free, that might be from God. That passion for, for clothing and artistic design and creative arts, that might be from God. Come on, somebody. See, I have all these passions, but I didn't know they were actually from God. And one of the ways that you can discover what God is calling you to do is what makes you cry. What keeps you up at night? What do you want to do? And many of you guys have all these passions, but fear locks them in a cage. It locks it. It, it, it locks it. It's in a vacuum. Can't get access to it. But did you know God has deposited everything you need to fulfill the purpose in your life inside of you? Not even around you. In you. Somebody once said to me, Will, you need a Spider-Man moment as a pastor. I said, what is this, a Marvel prophetic word? You know, I was sick. So you need a Spider-Man moment. I said, all right, elaborate, sir, please. He said, every man of God needs a Spider-Man moment. I said, okay, I got the point. Come on, elaborate. This way he said, Peter Parker did not become Spider-Man until his uncle died. And he says, certain situations and certain things will call greatness out of you. That's why you can't live in comfort, yo. People don't grow because they want to. People grow because they have to. I wanted to learn Spanish all my life. I wanted to, but I didn't. I moved to Mexico. I had to. Come on, somebody. I needed to eat, I needed to use the bathroom, I needed to preach. Ayuda del Señor, por favor, no? But before I wanted to learn, I got Rosetta Stones, I was like, yo, yo, I got, I got Duolingo, I got iTravelate, but it didn't work! But what happened to me was when I was pushed, when I was forced, when I was moved beyond comfort, greatness that God, not me, I'm not great, I'm but dust, but the greatness inside of me was forced outside. So you guys have greatness inside of you. You guys have gifts inside of you. You guys have passions inside of you, locked in fear. I know not all you guys are Asians, but especially Asians. Come on. Come on, I love my mom. You can't eat like that. We can't talk like that. We can't dress like that. I'm not going to wear what I want, please. Lot. If you want to know what you're called to do, look at your story. Look at your life experiences. Look at your passions. Don't shy away from your passions because of fear. Now I got so many points. I hope we're okay, man. I got eight points. Oh my Jesus. We're on point two, okay? Point three, you want to know your calling? Look at your gifts. Somebody once said, if your passion doesn't match your gift, find another passion. <laughs> I am very passionate about worship, but I cannot sing. So my friend said, bro, if your passion doesn't match your gift, Find another gift. <laughs> Find another passion. Look at your gifts. The Bible says God has given the church gifts. God has deposited gifts 
through the Holy Spirit from God. But you know what the problem is in our society? And even though I love society, our parents told us who we are. Our teachers told us who we are. Religion and church has told us what we are. Society and culture and social media has told us what we are. No, listen to what God says. Listen to who God says you are. So there are certain gifts as well inside of you. You might not be a good speaker, but you might be a good worship leader. You might not be a good worship leader, but you might be a good administrator. You might not be good with paperwork, but you're good with money. You might not be good with money, but you're good with music. There's gifts inside every single one of us that God wants to allot for his kingdom. Moses had a gift. Very simple. It was the gift of leadership. Let me tell you how this works. In Exodus 4, 2 through 4, the Lord said to Moses, this is after the burning bush experience, they're having a conversation, not a religious God, a relational God. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, it's a staff, Lord, it's a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I think that's so funny. (laughs) Because sometimes when God speaks to you and he reveals your calling, it's terrifying. If you're not living by faith and fear as your next door neighbor, you might not be living by faith. Right? The cousin of faith is fear. Come on now. So he threw it on the ground and it became a sermon and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. What does the staff represent? Two things. Number one, it represents Yahweh's power. It's a symbol of God's sovereign, divine power. It's nothing to do with Moses. It's just God's grace. God just gave him this staff as a sign of authority. And through this staff, his ministry will be affirmed. Because when someone does ministry, God affirms them. He brings breakthrough. He shows them what you're doing to, to get the respect of the people you're trying to lead. That's number one. It represents God's authority. But number two, the staff represents Moses' gifts. It was with the staff he led the sheep. It was with the staff he protected the sheep. It was with the staff he fed his family. And this staff represents all that he is, all that he's good at. For 40 years after he ran away from Egypt, all he did was shepherd the sheep. And he made a living off of it. He learned his skills off of it. And what does God want him to do with his gift? Lay it down at God's feet. He wants him to lay his gifts at the altar so God can breathe on it. With gifts that are natural gifts may be able to reach one or two. But when God breathes on it and we surrender it, God can multiply that to be 5,000. He could have fed five loaves, two fish. He could have, he could have fed one person. Two. Maybe not even one, you know? Maybe two, maybe a half, maybe a, a, a brunch. But when it was giving to God, it was multiplying for more glory. See, our gifts are not for us, it's for others. Our gifts are not for us, it's for God. And this is my favorite part about this. 
I used to think my calling was about me. My calling is about others. Please follow me here. I used to think calling is about me reaching my destiny, as TJ will say. But yeah. I used to think my calling was about me becoming successful. I thought my calling was about me reaching my potential. No, your calling is about everyone else's life that will be impacted by your obedience. MLK's calling set people free. Moses' calling wasn't about him. It was about everyone else that would come. My wife, she's not like me. She's actually a little more timid. But she's a beast on the field. Some of y'all know. I see some of y'all. She like, she grabs a mic, she speaks fluent Spanish. She's like, I'm like, <laughs> and she doesn't shout, she doesn't yell, she's just firm, just like, I go like, I go like, everyone repent. She goes like, everyone repent now. That's the mother's anointing right there. Like, I have to shout, you know. She's like, everyone lift your hands right now. <laughs> But my wife, she always says to me, I'm a honey, you gotta preach. She's like, no, I don't want to preach. I'm a honey, it's not for you. It's for everyone else out in this spot. She's like, oh, honey, I'm a honey. And I look at her, I'm like, honey, look at her. I don't go like that. I go like, honey. I go like, hey, there's too much at stake for you to disobey. See, many, we're individualistic Americans. We think individuals know. Israel was a corporate, it was a collective nation. One man's obedience impacts the whole nation. One man's pursuit could impact the whole region. One pastor's yes could impact the whole church. One teacher's yes could impact the whole generation. See, look what happens here. Why does God call Moses? To make Moses great? No. It says in Exodus 3, 7 through 10, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, verse 8, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Come on, somebody. To a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Which was the land of Canaan, the tribes over there. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel. You know what this means? That God hears us. Somebody once said, David didn't love God because God blessed him. David loved God because he knew that God could hear him. Mm. That was TDJ, by the way. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. And I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Here it goes, verse 10. This is the calling. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know what Moses says? Send somebody else. Must have been Asian. Though. Send somebody else. <laughs> no, I don't want to pay. You pay for it. I don't, I'll pay for it. It's just break. Sorry, <laughs> right, I, I love my people. Okay, but it's, it's 
Moses says, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm still a speaker. I'm not eloquent in speaking. Which is crazy, because in Acts 8, Stephen actually says Moses was powerful in speech. Which just means that Moses is doubting his gift. Moses could actually preach and speak. But because he looked away from God, he says, I can't speak. I can't, I can't do this. Send somebody else. Oh, Pharaoh's too great. But God's like, Moses is not about you. <laughs> Forget it. Son, this is about my people who are in slavery. I have seen their affliction. I have seen their oppression. And I am calling you not for your greatness, but for my greatness. I'm not calling you for your freedom, but for their freedom. Why is your obedience so important? Because it will impact everyone around you. Yeah. A father's yes impacts the child. The mother's yes impacts the lineage. The teacher, every spirit, the small group leader's yes impacts the students. The praise leader's yes impacts the atmosphere. Your calling and purpose is about him, not about us. You want to find your calling? Look beyond yourself. You know, I was in Malaysia, right? And this sounds bold, and I was debating if I should say this, but I was invited to this conference in Malaysia, and it wasn't even a conference. It's a small group of people. I got a, I'm a point four man. What the heck, right? But we were in Malaysia, right? And about forty leaders, young Asian American leaders. And there was, it was, there was only like there's two sessions for three days, and everything else is just praying. There was like there was a representative from Malaysia, Vietnam, Philippines, Korea, Thailand, everywhere, Indonesia. And I got there, I didn't know. I didn't know I was representing Korean Americans. They didn't tell me that. Like, I just got this invitation, so I went. I just went. And they were like, hey, Will, we heard, they just said, like, we heard something, something, something about you, all right? And I was like, oh, I've never heard that. <laughs> they said, we heard that you're the voice of the uprising second gen, whatever. And I was like, where did you hear that from? I've never heard that before, right? And then we shook hands. It was such a weird thing. And I remember the second day I was praying during worship, we're praying. And I heard as clear as day a conviction, conviction. God was like, I'm raising up a new generation of leaders. And I was praying like that. And I heard as clear as day, will you prepare yourself to be a voice? That sounds very arrogant. But I decided not to be Asian. I said, okay, Lord. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like Moses. I'm raising God. I was like, how many times I'm raising? I heard it. It's, it's a conviction, not auto voice. But God speaks, you don't hear with you, you hear with your whole body. It's like your soul hears it. It's like the weirdest thing, right? I'm like this, all of a sudden, I'm raising you up to be a voice for this generation. And then as I said, God, don't you know, freaking way. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> that just makes no sense. And I had a Moses-like experience. Not about you, it's not because you're special. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like a senior because I don't want to be not about you. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's like, it's about my people. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in fast. Now, as you, what does Moses do? Moses, after four, three, four times of fighting back and forth, he obeys. And immediately after obedience, it's opposition and rejection. Look, if you don't get a little bit of opposition and rejection, you're probably not doing anything with your life. I'm sorry, okay? 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna be real. You know, what? <laughs> just being recorded. Yeah, just edit. Okay. So, you know, people that have the most to say are oftentimes people who are doing the least. Some of the most critical people are the people who are not doing anything. People who are doing stuff are too busy to criticize. They're saving souls. They're building churches. They're reaching people. They're raising money. They're too busy. They don't got time to say, um, I don't agree with that. No, they're just going. <laughs> so what happens to Moses? Moses is all fine. I got the staff. Turned into a snake. I got leprosy. Touch me. I'll kill everyone. Whatever. And he starts, hey guys, I come to set you free. And then verse 21 of Exodus 5. Then the Lord looked on he said, Exodus 5, 21, uh, 5, 21, up there. May the Lord look on you and judge you. This is the Israelites saying this to him. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in your hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Come on, pastors. We got tricked into ministry, right? said, <laughs> Why, God? Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, oh yeah? I'm going to double the load. Double the word. Moses is like, I got a snake. What's that you got? <laughs> you know why there's opposition? Because God needs to work in you before he comes up through you. Ah, that's good. You know why there's rejection? Because God needs to move in you before he can move through you. God called him to deliver but he was making him a deliverer. The hardship and the rejection was a sign of obedience. Many of you guys, you get pumped. Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to see revival on my campus. I'm going to see revival in my region. I'm going to see God move. And you go and you're ready and you're excited. Everyone says, I don't care about you. It's like, why, Lord? Why have you done this to me, God? Everything sucks now, God. Kill me now, right? But not knowing that behind the scenes, God is orchestrating everything. Right. You know what made me a good preacher? Bad sermon. <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching, man. That's an anointing in this place, bro. You know what made me a better leader? Making horrible choices. <laughs> Rejection is not a sign of failure, it's a sign of growth. Opposition is not a sign of failure, it's a sign of growth. I see many of you guys, you get discouraged because we're trying to follow God, we're trying to do things and we fail and we fall short like Moses. But in that time, God is actually moving behind the scenes. I got called into ministry when I was 18 years old by the grace of God. I became a youth pastor when I was 18. I never, ever encourage anyone to do that. <laughs> Everybody was against it. I called my mom and I said, I'm not, I'm not. a California, I'm going to California. So 
They're like, Ooh. I said, like, uh, I'm going to be a youth pastor. Are you crazy? You're 18 years old. I said, oh my, I know. I have so, so much faith. I was praying before that. Mom's like, no way. Do you know what a, do you know they said? Do you know what they said? Which is an intern training. They said, you're a panchu. You're a little button. They would trash you, step on you, kill you. You don't know the Korean church. I was like, I'm going to serve God. I hung up. I got so discouraged. <laughs> I go to my friends. Yo, I think God's calling me to ministry. <laughs> Literally. Bro, you're 18. I went back to Chicago. I went to my pastor. Hey, Pastor PG, I'm going to, uh, going to California to be a pastor. Just think about it twice. <laughs> In fact, think about it three times. <laughs> You know, I did though. I wasn't trying to be disobedient. My mentor told me to do it, and one other person told me, and I prayed and I heard and I heard and I heard. Opposition and rejection is a sign that you're growing. So don't be discouraged. You know, people talk trash about me all the time. They really do. In the past, they used to mess me up. Now I'm like, good for you, dude. Just you keep doing whatever you want to do. You know what? When people criticize you, you outlove them, you outlive them, you outfruit them, you outlast them. That's all you gotta do. You outlove them. That's what Rick Warren said. Anything good I say, I take from somebody else. First time they say you quote them. Second time you say I once heard. Third time you make it your own, right? So you outlove them. You love them. You outfruit them. You work harder. You outlive them. Make it, make it last. And I, I forget the fourth one. But anyways, here we go. I'm almost done, I promise. What stops us from fulfilling our calling? I've been saying it the whole time. It's fear. Some of you guys don't even know that you have fear because you got so comfortable with living a fearful life. You've gotten so comfortable with the status quo that you don't even know that you're paralyzed by fear. I'm a, I'm a pastor, but uh, no, I don't want to grab the mic. I'm supposed to be humble. But in reality, you're just so afraid. I want to, I want to start this business, but I'm, I'm, maybe I'm too proud. No, no, no. There's so much fear. Where does fear come from? When you look at yourself. Exodus 3.11 But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? For one. Then Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Verse 10, chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. In order for you to overcome fear, stop looking at what you can't do and look at what God can do. Please follow me here. This is a really good revelation. Lord, who do I say sent me? I am. What does that mean? What you're not, I am. Wow. What you can't, I can't. I can. What you won't, I will. Where you lack, I fill. Where you fall, I hold. Where you fail, there's grace. You know, for the Christian, when you fall into sin, I heard this recently, it's so good. The lowest you could fall is Jesus. That's so good. <laughs> when you fall in sin, the lowest you can fall is Jesus right under you holding you up. Grace. Wow, come on. You can't fall lower than the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. 
He says, Lord, I can't, I can't, I can't. Took his eyes off of God. You know, I'm bold when I'm looking at God. I'm, you might think I'm bold in my natural, and I am in my natural, but when I'm not looking at God, I'm like, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to say about me? Oh my gosh, was my sermon funny? Was my sermon bad? But when I'm looking at God, I become a lion. Yeah, yeah. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? The one who looks at God is as bold as a lion. Moses is keep looking at what he can't instead of looking at what God can. Can I encourage you with something today? Don't look at what you can't do, but look at what God can do. Stop looking at yourself and start looking at God. Someone once said, Pastor, I want to start a ministry, but I don't have enough money. I said, did you know heaven's floors are paved with gold? <laughs> I live in a one-bed apartment. It's super poor and ghetto, right? Heaven's floor. The gr- you see this red carpet? And heaven is 24 karat gold. You can freaking ice skate on that shit. <laughs> just gold. Just... I don't got money. God got money. I don't got resources. God got resources. I don't got power. I got the Holy Spirit. I don't got, I don't got no Moses. I don't got, I don't got. God says, who made man's mouth? Who made man speak? Who made man deaf? Who made man mute? I will put my words inside of you and I will speak through you. Number one, you got to overcome fear by not looking at yourself. Stop looking at what you can't do and start looking at what God can do. Last point before we go into the conclusion. Stop looking for man's approval. Apostle Paul says, am I still now trying to win man's approval? For if I were, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. Why did he say that? Because he was struggling with pleasing people. Why did God say, do not be afraid of Joshua? Because he was afraid. Why did Moses say, I, I mean, Paul says, am I still trying to win the approval of man? For if I were, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. In other words, I am struggling with wanting to please people, but I choose not to. Yeah. Exodus 4.1, but Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. When you have a kingdom dream and a kingdom vision, some of you younger people, God could still give you a kingdom dream and a kingdom vision now. You might be in a seed form, but there's this tension. You might not live with the approval of man. Moses, they're not going to approve of me. They saw that I killed somebody. But God says, do not look for their approval. I have approved you. I have called you. You know how you overcome fear? And you know that God's the one that sent you. When you know that it's not your assignment, but it's God's assignment. When you know that it's not your life, but God's life, fear goes. This last point. Where does this all begin? Where does kingdom dreams, kingdom calling, not your dreams, not your parents' dreams, not your professor's dreams. Where does God's dreams begin? With an encounter with God. Moses is walking in the land of Midian. He sees a bush on fire. 
He's like, hey, it's not, it's not being consumed. The fire is remaining. The Bible says he stopped. And he said, oh, we'll see what this is. The Bible says God saw that Moses turned. And he says, Moses. Moses. Take off your shoes. Why? Because where you stand is holy ground. This an encounter with God that propels you to your calling. It's an encounter with God that propels you to your purpose. Many of you guys are looking for answers. Answering something? Look for God. And God could tell you the answer. It's an encounter with God. Yes, encounter with God. Moses, Moses. He says, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I must take my shoes off, which is a sign of reverence, a sign of holiness, a sign of worship and praise. And as he has his shoes off, he's encountering God. He's experiencing God. But it's not a one-time encounter. He encounters God again in Exodus 33. This time is now he's looking into the land of Canaan. He's heard reports. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers. And this time he's totally different. Lord, I won't go unless you go. That's what Josh said, right? And what did he say? Show me your glory. I used to think that was just a cool saying. Show me your glory. You know, you know what that really means? I can't do it. When he said, if it was Kim Walker, sure, but like, show me your glory. You know, Moses was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. If you don't go, if you don't show me your face, I can't do this thing called life. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's stiff that people, I can't believe. Please show me your glory. Did you know there's some prayers that God hears? Some prayers he doesn't. God, make me rich. God's like, shut up. <laughs> God, God, I want to marry her. Shut up. <laughs> but, but, God, I want to live for you. <laughs> God, I want to serve you. <laughs> God, I want to be used by you. <laughs> Why? Some prayers move. You think it's a one-time encounter? No, it's not. It's an everyday encounter. Yes. When I got called into ministry, it was not excitement. It was brokenness. I'm going to have the praise team come up as because I know we're doing a little late praise team. When I got called, okay, I got, some of you guys know my story. I was, I had ADHD, I dropped out of high school. Got kicked out of Korea, and then moved to America. I couldn't even read or I couldn't even I could write, I couldn't even read well. I got saved. I got saved. I'm like, like real salvation. Like, whoop, I was dead, now I live. I was blind, now I see. Like, like I'm a sinner, but now I'm a saint. That's not the salvation. And I remember like, what was that one day during church? I was praying to find all of them. God was like, I want to use you. I was like, I was bawling my eyes. I was like, I was bawling. 
was like, oh, the spirit of God is so much. But I felt so small. I felt like, who am I? But I heard him say, I want to use you. And God said, if you will lay down your staff, in other words, if you will lay down your life, William, if you will lay down your pride, if you will lay down your fear, if you will lay down your rejection, if you will lay down all these sins in your life, I will use you. And I was like, God, I will use you. And I just didn't care. Boom, I had an encounter. And I said, you know what came up to me? You know what happened to me? I said, I don't care. I just want to start crying my eyes out. And then like three years later, I became a youth pastor. And then two years into youth ministry, I wanted to kill myself. I literally became clinically depressed, and I thought about killing myself. I remember one day I parked my car on my birthday, my 22nd birthday, in my dorm room. And I thought to myself, if I could just drive this car into the wall, I need to go preach tomorrow. Y'all don't know what's better. You don't know what people go through. And I, I was sitting, I was crying. Like, I was bawling. My pride wouldn't let me quit. So I'd rather die, you know? Dongojin, that dumb stubbornness, doesn't even make any rational sense. You know, I was, like, I was just crying. And God was like, this is not your burden to carry. Son, don't you know that I have a purpose for you? At that time, I was only pastoring 12 kids. I preached like it was 1,200, but it was 12 kids. <laughs> One, my first Friday day, there's two kids. Okay. But unbeknownst to them, I just came back from Panama. I preached like there were 2,000 kids in there. I was like, open up your Bible. They were like, what? Oh. <laughs> I like, if you want to know Jesus, come out to the front. Literally. <laughs> it was me and two girls, right? <laughs> two girls, two girls. Crystal and Charlie, just them two. I was like, you want to know Jesus? You want to come out. They were like, It starts. It starts with this. It starts with. I got nothing. I, I got nothing. I just got my heart. I, I just feel this call that I'm made for something more. I'm not made to just live, but not to survive, but to live. And I feel tonight God sent me here to propel you out of fear, out of intimidation, out of out of thinking that you're not good enough. And you know what? You're not, but he is. You meet your insignificance, and then you know how significant you are because of it. But you gotta make a choice tonight. You gotta make a choice. Are you gonna hold on to your staff, or are you gonna put it down? You can hold on to it because you're a control freak. And no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna determine my future. I know what school I'm gonna go to. I know what. No, no. You can do that. That's that's okay. But it's your loss. It's because in the kingdom, when you lose, you win. When you die, you live. When you give, you gain. When you bless, you receive. Yeah. I want you guys to close your eyes. Would you close your eyes? Close your eyes, would you? I know we're so used to religious gatherings. I took off my shoes for myself to remember that we stand on holy ground. We are not here for a person. But we are here because our hearts are crying out for a move of God in your personal life and for those around you. Look, let me tell you something. Your obedience is not about you. It's about everybody else that needs to know Jesus. 
I was just talking to a senior pastor. Uh, I was just talking to this deacon at our church, talking to me about his senior pastor. He was up raving about the senior pastor. All I could hear was that one man's yes impacted generation of current Americans in New York. He doesn't even realize that. Maybe he does. I want you guys to close your eyes. If God has spoken to you, and there is a conviction in your heart to live for him, I want you to stand in your feet and begin to pray. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. Stand and start praying, would you? Start praying. Start lifting your voice. Start lifting your voice, would you? Come on, start praying. Lift your voice. My house shall be called a house of prayer. This is not a social gathering to come around a great speaker or a ministry. This is about lifting the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. And as you lift his name in your heart, every idol and every altar will bow at the name of Jesus. And God is going to begin to speak to you. Begin to lift your voice to the Lord right now. Begin to lift your voice to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I don't want to be afraid no more. I don't want to hold back no more. God, there's too much at stake here, God. Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.